Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. My name is Adam Woodhall, and today I'm delighted to uh, introduce Alan Louch, who is leading the Natural Capital Markets Group at the Lique Exchange. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be with you. And uh, this uh, today is about uh, the blockchain and uh, part of the blockchain series that I'm covering um, in this summer. And I'm really looking forward to what Alan's going to be bringing to it because I think uh, it's uh, something that's going to kind of cover quite a good range of what the blockchain can actually offer to the world um, and can really how it can fit into in, uh, something that really can truly inspire sustainability um, both within um, local regions, countries and globally as well. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So I suppose uh, we'll start off, actually, Alan, by help uh, getting you to describe a bit of your enterprise. And uh, also, I'd be really interested in a bit of background about yourself. Sure. Um, so we're building a global marketplace um, with Lick Exchange. And the idea is that blockchain offers a much more efficient way to build a marketplace than the existing financial system, which is full of intermediaries. To really understand what blockchain is, it boils down to something very simple. It's a global notary service that works. And our idea is to build an exchange where anyone can exchange any asset for any other asset. So the idea is that we're moving into a world where assets and services will increasingly be digitized. And that from then on, they can be tokenized and become a form of payment. Mm. So this means that we can currently trade foreign exchange on Lique. But we've also listed a mangrove tree coin and forestry carbon credits on the exchange. So that's the mission. One global marketplace for any asset on the blockchain for zero transaction fees and also with liquidity 24 by 7, which is uh, really interesting. So that means that you can trade any asset for any other asset at any point in time because the blockchain never sleeps. Yeah. So background on myself, I started out as a banker with uh, JP Morgan in the risk group, corporate risk management group in New York in 1993 and it was a fascinating time when the global derivatives market was expanding and I was working with uh, literally rocket scientists straight wow. out of school um, which was super stimulating and our task was to take an enterprise view of risk at JP Morgan so we looked at portfolio market and credit risk models and one of the projects that we worked on became the risk metrics methodology. So JP Morgan made a radical decision to open source and publish hmm. its own market risk methodology. And so the idea would, was that an apples to apples comparison of risk would help the different participants communicate about risk and coordinate. This was um, then taken up by regulators who saw this as a way to standardize capital requirements for market risk and 
it was very exciting. So we were sort of the first generation of what's now called fintech companies. Mm. We spun off from JP Morgan in 1998 and uh, grew really um, exponentially around the world uh, to finally list on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and um, then the financial crisis happened. And I started to think about all these models um, and how, despite the fact that they work very well from a day-to-day perspective, perhaps they built up too much confidence uh, in our ability to measure risk. Mm. And then I started to get interested in a different perspective of risk around looking at extreme tail risk events. This was also a time when uh, the black swan theory by Nassim Taleb started to uh, become popularized. But what I found much more interesting was the research by Didier Selnet, where he actually made a, made a, made a proposition that, um, according to his research, about two-thirds of financial crises are not unforecastable black swans, but rather predictable dragon kings. Mm. So the idea there is that small changes can amplify into ever-bigger avalanches. And there are telltale early warning signals combined with structural fragility that can lead to systemic collapse. So I focused my research on early warning signals and systemic risk. And when MSCI made an offer to take over risk metrics, I decided to continue my research on my on my own and uh, published a paper um, with uh, Springer on early warning and systemic risk, Mm. and then connected with a network-based risk visualization startup called Financial Network Analytics. Um, What we did there was build maps of systemic risk, for example, to see how uh, interconnected banks are and the larger financial system, as well as making maps of financial markets and seeing interconnectivity, um, housing markets, for example. And then last year, I realized that uh, I had enough mapping risk and that I wanted to dedicate my life uh, to actually acting on systemic risk. Mm. So it's been very clear to many of us looking at climate change over the last decades that climate change is escalating and it's now the greatest challenge faced by humanity. And this is part of a global commons. No one has a job um, to uh, address global climate change or protect our ecological commons. And as a risk manager, I believe this is kind of the calling of risk managers. We actually need to not only protect our own institutions, but protect the home that we all share. So I started the Natural Capital Alliance with a very simple mission, which is which was to identify eco-heroes who are protecting vital ecosystems and to support them with capital. Mm. And all that powered by blockchain. I connected with Todd Lemons, who developed the first forestry carbon scenario, which he pitched for um, the UN Kyoto Protocol. It was rejected because scientists thought that you couldn't accurately quantify the carbon content of forests, but he proved them wrong. And uh, now he's the grandfather so to say, of the Red Plus um, program, which enables um, individuals um, and organizations to essentially uh, protect endangered rainforests. Mm. So we 
launched the first sort of cryptocurrency backed by natural capital to uh, represent forestry credits for his Rimba Raya Biodiversity Reserve. And um, then, um, you know, I met with uh, Richard Olson and uh, Sergey, um, who uh, I've been friends with, uh, Sergey Ivlyev, friends for a very long time, and basically proposed the idea um, to um, build this marketplace for natural capital. They thought it was a wonderful idea, and so I joined Lekke to actually, you know, lead this initiative. So the overall idea is that nature needs a banker, and that's what my mission is. Right. Um, because the root cause of the escalating ecological crisis is that natural capital is undervalued, mm. and it's part of the commons. And so what I would like to do is put natural capital on the map as an emerging asset class that everyone should invest in. Interesting. Very interesting. And, now, and just as an aside, actually, for the listeners, um, we'll be talking about the blockchain today. And uh, for those who may be uh, aren't, uh, fully intimate with the blockchain, um, I've done already a podcast about uh, blockchain and uh, a kind of a dummy's guide to it. So you can go to that and get, give yourself a, a quick understanding of it. Um, but um, because I'm really fascinated by how the blockchain, which is effectively for me a trust uh, and transparency mechanism, can really help deliver what what you're saying there. Because uh, the, I know people that are uh, doing their best to, to achieve what you're talking about, but uh, there's some significant barriers to uh, achieving any any progress really or much progress in in this the natural capital area. Um, so how is what you're doing helping kind of uh, do, uh, with this uh, ecology area and particularly how is it helping democratize the blockchain so that you can you can uh, help the ecology of our planet? Sure. Um, so I think you nailed it with um, pointing towards trust, right? Trust and transparency is something that blockchain enables. So what blockchain really is doing is giving birth to the internet of trust that is connected to the internet of value, which includes the internet of things as well as the internet of nature, mm. right? So... Um, if we can come up with a trusted system that uses uh, big data, analytics, um, transparency, in order to define a language that represents our commons, mm -hmm. that people can use effectively and monitor and use to incentivize the protection of natural resources, then we can really do extraordinary things. Um, it enables us to really um, coordinate things that we cannot do individually, right? There's some problems that are just very difficult to solve. Uh, you can be the smartest mathematician, but um, you won't be able to calculate what the price of wheat should be. Yeah. But if we set up a marketplace where sellers of wheat can connect with buyers of wheat, then you can start to see a marketplace developing, right? So this is the overall idea that um, 
we have been waiting for Godot, for regulators to set a price for carbon. This has been going on for decades and decades, and there have been failed attempts and flawed cap-and-trade systems put in place at the peak of the economic bubble, which essentially made carbon a leveraged play on economic growth. So after many false starts, I believe it's time for a new approach to carbon, to reinvent carbon markets. Mm. And the overall idea is very simple. Every organization manages financial capital. It also manages human capital. Finally, every organization should also manage natural capital. Mm. We all use natural resources, whether it's water and clean air. We, whenever we fly and travel, uh, we, we emit CO2. The future is a world where the price of consumption will include all negative externalities, right? That's where we're headed. So if a company is polluting our waters or our air, they will pay for that pollution. And when a consumer buys something, um, be it a bottle of shampoo or a vacation, the cost of that will include all negative externalities. We won't have to feel guilty that there's something that's not being paid for. That will cost us about 1% of consumer spending. So actually consumers will not even notice the difference that it takes one cent per candy bar to produce sustainable palm oil, for example. It's almost too cheap to meter, but the fact that we haven't metered it has caused a great distortion in risk that's actually putting everything at peril. So if you're a company, you have now two choices. One is you can continue, you can shirk your responsibility and say, well, I don't have to pay. Nature doesn't send a bill, you know, and regulators have been slow to protect the commons. So why would I pay into the commons? So that's option A. And to those, I say that, you know what, you will pay for that later because we will actually assess the damages that you have caused and sue you for those damages, right? So don't think that you're getting away with destroying our planet, our commons, and our children's future. The price will come, and it will come with interest. Now, the second, uh, there's a second category of firms that actually are proactive mm. and want to do the right thing. And I think those are, in fact, the only firms that are sustainable. There really are only two kinds of firms, those that are sustainable now, and those that will be sustainable. And for those firms, I would say now is an incredible opportunity to be a pioneer and to lead by investing in natural capital. So, for example, a small um, windsurf company, well, they're actually the lead, world's leading windsurf and SUP company called Starboard. Mm -hmm. They've recently, they've started this program where they bundle planting a mangrove tree with a surfboard and they actually offset three or four times their carbon emissions by simply planting a tree with a board and for them the cost was a fraction of one percent of revenues just a tiny expense and for that they're able to go to their consumers and say you know what you can ride with our surfboards 
knowing that there's no negative externality. Mm. Um, and so what they've done is they've, they've moved towards actually a, a wonderfully beautiful standard. And this is the net positive standard that every firm and every individual can simply pledge to go net positive. Mm. And it's so easy. You first tend your own garden. If there's any you know, excess waste, for example, too much plastic consumption and energy consumption, we cut that down. But then there's some residual footprint. So what we can use there is we can use our capital to support causes and actually to invest in causes that mitigate, for example, plastic waste or a carbon footprint. Yeah. So putting natural capital on the map as an essential form of capital for everyone um, to invest in actually creates an amazing thing. It creates an emerging ma- asset class where right now, just like with Bitcoin, only a few crazy people do it. There are mm. maybe 20 million Bitcoin wallets out there, blockchain wallets out, out there right now. But that number is doubling every year. The implication is that we are nine doublings away from 10 billion blockchain wallets. Mm. And in a very similar way, there are a handful of, you know, or quite a more, but there are leading companies that are sort of outliers. They're sort of the crazies that are unnecessarily investing in this asset class. Um, but as, as that this emerges actually into an asset class, as opposed to a donation, um, it actually, I believe, has the potential to be uh, one of the world's most promising asset classes. And I can elaborate on that a little bit more later on. Yeah, and and one of the how does the the blockchain then um, help with this process that you've been describing? Sure. So what blockchain does is build trust that um, that there is a um, that we have an asset, a digital asset that stands for something. And that digital asset can be um, can essentially be become like money. It can be transferred um, to to put to put this into a very practical example with the trees. Mm. When Starboard started their program of one tree per board, they were happy to actually just uh, send money directly to the Tor Heyerdahl Climate Park to enable them to do planting of these mangroves uh, at a cost of about a dollar per mangrove. Um, what I told Sven Rasmussen, the founder of Starboard, was that, you know what? You're actually making an investment in natural capital. Mm. Um, we can tokenize this. And so what we've done is we have created a digital token to represent a mangrove tree in Tor Heyerdahl Climate Park which is backed by carbon credit rights shared with local communities. The idea is that the trees only survive if they're worth more alive than dead. Studies have shown that each mangrove sequesters one ton of CO2 in 20 years. We're splitting, we're giving half the carbon credits to local communities and half to the investor in this digital token. And the project is being monitored with satellites, there's the verified carbon standard uh, application that has just been filed. It's now for review. 
And so there'll be a lot of confidence in the fact that these trees exist. You can visit the park. You can see it from the satellite. You can get the updates of the auditors visiting on site. Um, it's a real thing. It's out there, right? So we can use both auditors as well as uh, big data to verify um, that the trees are there. Currently, 2.7 million are planted out of 8 million for the stage one. And our plan is to expand this program with a mission to restore a billion mangroves wow. within the next decade. And these are the kinds of things that we can, you know, we, we actually don't need to um, wait for governments to sponsor mm. uh, us or for governments to price carbon. We could allow any individual, one tree at a time, to make a difference. Yeah. For example, 200 people are now using Ant Financial's CO2 app in China. Incredible. Like one out of you know, five Chinese people. If they all decided to offset their carbon emissions or just part of them by buying $10 worth of trees, that's, mm -hmm. that's 2 billion mangroves that can be restored more than we can do in Myanmar, right? So this is an incredible thing that um, it enables anyone to make a difference, to act on climate with mm -hmm. a press of a button. There's no minimum trade, minimum investment size. So literally anyone with a mobile phone can access this. And then there's the confidence that this is actually um, a digital token that has value that can be exchanged into any other asset class. So if you go to the Liquor Wallet, you can see that we have a, we have a price for tree, mm. 24 by 7, that you can buy and sell tree um, at any point in time. And we've stabilized the price through um, a very simple innovation. The first is that we've raised capital with resilience in mind. So if we need $1 million, for example, we will raise $1.1 million. So we raise 10% extra mm -hmm. as a buffer that we keep. So that if you, for example, um, if you've decided, Adam, to be net positive, or let's take me as an example, I'm 46 years old. So for me to be net positive, it takes about one mangrove a week. 50 mangroves a year, so about 2,300 mangroves um, makes me net positive. Mm. So I can, I can buy these 2,300 trees, but let's say there's some kind of an emergency. Um, you know, I need uh, the cash for uh, an emergency medical procedure, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, I can actually sell these trees, and me selling 2,300 trees given that, let's say, you know, we've raised $10 million mm. uh, and have a $1 million capital buffer, my 2,300 trees is tiny. Mm -hmm. And Lickhe will make a market for that. It, me selling my trees will marginally depress the price by a tiny little bit. Mm. And then possibly half an hour later, someone will buy 2,300 trees, right? So what we're doing is we're using um, Lickhe founder, Dr. Richard Olson's high-frequency trading algorithms that provide liquidity mm. that were designed for the trillion dollar foreign exchange markets to also power natural capital. Yeah. Right. So we've turned mangroves into a liquid global currency, one that it, that for small uh, for individuals like you know myself, an individual investor, um, 
the liquidity of this mangrove tree is equivalent to the liquidity of a major currency because I can trade in those amounts um, at any point in time. Amazing. Right, this is uh, fascinating. Now, and it's something that um, prompts me uh, to think this. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on there, and uh, it leads to me to the, a question because around the, the blockchain, is it's, it's currently seen as being difficult to understand um, and it sounds like you've got a good grasp on things. So why do you feel that it's, it is being, is currently seen as difficult to understand? Right. I think, I think the, the, the technology behind blockchain is, it has a lot of subtleties, right? There's the, the mining and the block sizes and hash rates, and it's a very technical discussion. Um, that's been dominated by the, the pioneers, the techies who actually invented this technology, mm. right? And what we really need is to kind of evolve this ecosystem of these super bright techies into a much more diverse ecosystem where, you know, like artists and philosophers mm. um, and historians talk about what blockchain is and how to use it most, most importantly, right? So I think it's... Um, it's just sort of where the technology is. If, if you remember internet in the early 1990s, right? Um, you know, like, you know, who really understands what, what HTTP is? It's, it's a protocol, right, mm -hmm. that, you know, allows us to use the internet. Who, who really understands, you know, the, the, the facts, the protocol behind facts, or even how, you know, uh, mobile phones work and how they communicate? Um, the point is that once the technology becomes ripe enough for users to to intuitively interface with it, um, so for example, with the internet, that was the development of the first browser, first mosaic, then Netscape, and then people were, oh, of course, I just I, I just use the internet, and so this is what we just need. We need a killer app that is visual in an interface where people just simply use it and understand, oh, wow, this is, this is, I, I get it. You know, um, it's just like using a mobile phone. Mm. It's just like browsing on the internet. Right. Yeah. So I think this is really important to create, um, a visually intuitive, simple interfaces. So think about what Steve jobs did with the, uh, with the iPod. Right. And he got the simplicity after the complexity 1,000 songs mm. in your pocket. Oh, I, you know, my entire music library in the palm of a hand, in, in yeah. my hand. Okay. Um, so what I'm, this is what I'm trying to do with a natural capital, you know. So you know, in, on my mobile phone, I have 1,000 trees in my pocket, mm. right, an entire forest, right? That's this idea. And then I can send these trees to anyone as currency, right? So I think, I think we need to get to the simplicity after the complexity, and we need to create tools that are so easy to use. It, it's, it has to be as easy as PayPal um, to send money around mm. um, and to perform all the different functions that, um, that, we, want to fun that we want to have um, that uh, we rely on for finance. So that's really the mission for Lickey. Our, our flagship um, tool is really Lickey Wallet. Mm -hmm. And the aspiration for Lickey Wallet is that it's, you know, a one-stop shop for anything you want to do with money. It's a way for you to securely store your money, for you to send money to others as payment, for you to make investments, for you to borrow, 
and for you to exchange any one asset into any other asset, for you to take out insurance, right? So these are kind of the basic functions that, um, that we, we, we need. Um, and instead of going into a bank branch, the born digital generation sees their mobile phone as the bank, yeah. right? So it's really creating very intuitive use cases, simple graphical user interfaces, and then essentially getting people to just use the technology and become familiar with it by using it. Yeah, that's fabulous. I mean, it, that, that really demonstrates to me how uh, what Liki is doing is uh, basically demystifying blockchain um, and uh, particularly uh, with what you're doing, blockchain for uh, ecology and environment. Um, I mean, is there anything else that you can think of with what you're doing that kind of helps in that demystification? Um, yeah, I mean, we, there's just there's just so many wonderful projects that uh, that we're working on, and you know, we really like to look at ourselves as you know, we're inspired by what Airbnb did. You yeah. know, um, we're really you know, it's just amazing. If someone had said ten years ago, hey, you know what? Um, there's like a, a website where anyone can post uh, apartments online. And you know what? Uh, yeah, you would totally trust a complete stranger. You know, um, it'd be like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But what they've done is they've created um, a marketplace with trust uh, where um, these two sides can meet because there's a feedback mechanism. And they're using, um, you know, very easy design-led um, human-centric interface for you to very easily be able to list uh, apartments. And then for me, as someone who uh, basically lives out of Airbnbs nowadays, you know, I can search for something that, you know, that, that makes sense for me. So, so they've just built an extraordinary platform that's so good for both sides based on, you know, big data, based on openness, transparency, the ability for feedback, um, so we, we kind of look at them as an ideal. And what we'd like to do is build an Airbnb for people to list financial assets on, on the exchange. This could be, for example, uh, fractional ownership of an apartment. Mm. Um, I have a surf membership at the surf club in Hua Hin. You know what? Um, I'm going to be in uh, Portugal for a few months and won't have access to that. I could list this on, you know, on the exchange, for example. Um, and then you could look at, uh, of course, big mega projects where, you know, uh, a major uh, real estate um, owner could list fractional ownership of buildings. Um, so the idea really is to democratize the ability for anyone to list any asset mm -hmm. and to um, exchange that against any other asset. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's critical, absolutely critical. And that democratization is something that uh, I think one of the challenges that I've identified in the blockchain is that it's both uh, a fabulous opportunity, but the challenge could be is because there is some deep technical um, ability required to uh, work on it, is that the big corporations could kind of hoover up the best brains and effectively corner the market on it, and then uh, and then we lose some of the opportunities around it. So I think it's brilliant what you're uh, offering 
um, in a way that's open and transparent. I mean, and how is Lickey in itself not gonna? How is it not gonna turn into kind of like a, a behemoth corporation that's just gonna try and kind of keep all the goodies for itself? Right. That's a, that's a really good question. So, so, so first of all, let me just say that, um, you know, we, we view ourselves, there's all this talk about disruption and blockchain is you could view it as a disruptive technology, but what we're, the way we look at ourselves is we've developed technology, um, that is open source that we freely share with everyone. And we think competition is a good thing, right? Um, and that we will work with, uh, first of all, um, with regulators globally. So we're building a regulated uh, presence. Um, you know, we filed for SEC approval uh, in Switzerland, in the UK, Cyprus, Singapore, and the list goes on. And we also um, make our technology available to um, financial institutions. One of Europe's largest banks, for example, is white labeling our exchange, right? Um, but yes, yeah, still, we could become this behemoth um a corporation, right? Wildly successful. And then, um, you know, uh, what happens then? Well, we've architected actually Lickie, um, in, in this very interesting way. Um, and you know, Richard Olson, when he talked about this in, uh, at a round table in Singapore, just blew everyone away when he said that, you know what, we've designed Lickie to be fragile, mm. right? The, the, the technology that's underlying what we're doing is all open source mm-hmm. because, it's just that the function of one efficient exchange is such an important one. Imagine, think of uh, your heart and the key role that plays, right? We only have one heart. Every mammal has only one heart. You have five liters of blood in your, in your body, and that's circulated efficiently. That's not very much. It's circulated, but it's circulated efficiently through your heart. Mm. And so this, this technology, we believe that um, there will be just like with the Internet of Information, where you had Google play a vital role as a search engine in this Internet of Value. Um, what we're doing, we're a matching engine as an exchange for the Internet of Value. So that's a critical role, um, and um, we need to be able to do this very, very efficiently. So the point is, because we've open sourced everything, everyone has access to that. And if we lose the edge, if we become greedy, if we do the wrong thing, you know what? People abandon Lickie, but the technology lives. Someone else can you know, take it over. Um, so that, that's, that's the idea. What, what, who we are, Lickie, is really not important. It's, it's the technology that we're building. It's the entire ecosystem that we're building. And what's wonderful about the, uh, the ethos that, uh, that Richard and, uh, and Sergey started is just that everything is open source, right? Mm. You know, um, anyone who works for Likkei, the most important thing <laughs> in your contract is that everything you do is open source. We don't do anything that's proprietary. And that creates a tremendous level of trust between partners and, you know, competitors, of course, between, you know, sort of the old world and this, this world, because we're, you know, we're radically open, sharing everything, and you know, sharing things with uh, with companies that uh, will compete head to head with us, but that's actually a, a good thing for the world, right? Because we really need um, we we need the the landscape to be um, to be open. We don't need to have artificial barriers that slow down the pace of change. Mm. Um, our mission, very simply, 
is um, is motivated by first of all um, a you know a, a fear that the current systems that are running this world are archaic. Mm. They were designed hundreds of years ago. They're highly inefficient, and we are seeing in a way, a great dying, a, a collapse of um, old systems. Trump being in charge of the world's most powerful economy is not a good sign, mm-hmm. right? So we have a limited period of time to reinvent these systems from top-down, centralized, inefficient systems to resilient, decentralized, distributed, agile systems that are community-based, that power grassroots movements. And we need to move fast. We, we don't have a lot of time. As a risk manager, I understand the exponential nature of risk, right? That any, any, any further delay on ecological action could set us back millions of years, right? That every year of not acting erases millions of years of, 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 of evolution potentially. If we hit dangerous tipping points, for example, like coral reefs, that could collapse entirely if we had CO2 concentrations of 450 parts per million mm. due to acidification and ocean warming. So what really motivates us is the, the necessity for all, for all of us to move quickly, to build, and we can only do this together, by building trust with this radical openness and transparency. Wow, I mean that's, that's and I, I love what you're saying there, and it's uh, it's it's very that's very inspiring. It's you're doing what uh, it says on the tin of this uh, podcast. You're inspiring sustainability there. So, a couple of uh, final uh, quick questions, really, is that could you give me some headlines on maybe what's um, slowing down the or could be slow down the growth of your solution? And maybe also what could help it grow even faster? And those might be similar things. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the, 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 the biggest force slowing down um, the adoption of blockchain and our solutions is, is really, um, you know, the fact that it, it, it takes most people some time to kind of build trust, right? There's a certain human scale uh, at which we work. Um, but, um, you know, on the, on the flip side, what's very promising looking at past cycles of technology adoption is that this is speeding up more and more and more and that we've seen, you know, the time it took for, let's say radio and TV and telephony to get adopted. Mm. And we've seen how accelerated this has become with the internet and with mobile, um, and, um, and now with blockchain. So um, it's, a, it's a natural cycle, but we're learning faster. There's, there's an acceleration, I think, um, that will benefit um, what, uh, you know, what we're doing. Um, what could help us scale even faster is um, uh, an embrace by uh, regulators to really you know, um, uh, use blockchain to reinvent government and to uh, make the systems work better, right? Um, again, it's our strategy to work with the regulators. There should be, um, these are tools that can benefit everyone to build trust, uh, to build a more, uh, efficient and seamless system and, um, to protect our commons. So, um, it's really, uh, you know, it's really around, 
Um, you know, one other thing is, you know, it takes time to build an organization as well um, that can coordinate. And so, you know, these are all these are all things that uh, you know, um, you know, as you as you build a startup, um, you need to build trust internally and coordinate and all these kinds of things. And you know, mistakes are made, so that there there will always be bumps uh, along along the road. But um, as long as we keep the overall principles in mind, which is that, you know, like solid governance really has a very simple core, mm. which is as long as we are transparent and open about what we're doing and allow people to take ownership, we have a self-organizing system that starts to move uh, really fast and synchronize. Brilliant. Now, that's fabulous. And um, it's, it, you've been uh, kind of hitting so many uh, great points there that uh, I've actually just kind of sat back and, and, and soaked it all up as I hope the listeners have been doing as well. Um, so, uh, well, just want to say thank you so much for giving your time. And uh, I know we're on a, a quite different time zones. It's, it's I think it's past 10 p.m. your time at the moment. So thank you for uh, devoting your evening to this. Thank you, Adam, for this uh, this wonderful opportunity. And um, I really look forward to uh, listening to the rest of your podcasts and, uh, and reading your book. And um, what you're doing is just so important because there are just wonderful things going around, going on around the world that should inspire us all. Right. So, you know, looking at the news, you can get so depressed. Mm. Um, but that's a very biased view of reality. What what since since I made the pledge to to essentially dedicate my life towards the protection of our commons and oceans, which I am closest to, I have traveled the world and met so many amazing people. Mm. Um, and, you know, and these are grassroots movements that are forming and that are connecting with each other. And it's given me more hope than ever. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, and um, please keep doing what you're doing and keep sharing and, um, you know, uh, connecting us with uh, inspiration. Yeah, no, absolutely. So if uh, any of the listeners want to be uh, follow you and your, what you're doing, Inspiration, where can they find you online? Sure. I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook, Alan Laubsch. I'm on Twitter, A. Laubsch. You can email me at alan at licke.com. That's A-L-A-N at L-Y-K-K-E.com. Um, maybe just one last little thing for you to remember, Likhe. Um, Likhe means happiness or good fortune in Danish and other Scandinavian languages. And Richard Olson actually named the company after his grandmother. So oh. I think that's <laughs> that's super sweet. Oh, All right. So Thank sweet. you so much, Adam. <laughs> and, how, and sorry, just one thing for people finding you on Twitter, etc. How do you spell your surname, Alan? It's uh, Laubsch. That's L-A-U-B-S-C-H. That's L as in London, A America, U under, B boy, S, school, C Charlie, H Henry. Wonderful. Okay, thank you for that. And if you want to find me, Adam Woodall, online, you can uh, find me on Twitter uh, and LinkedIn, Adam Woodall, all one word. And also um, you can find uh, uh, this podcast online as well as uh, other podcasts which are on the blockchain and also on other t topics about inspiring sustainability at inspiring-sustainability.com.
www.alanmcdonald.com. Um, so that is it for today. So uh, thank you very much, Alan. Thank you very much to the listeners for uh, uh, to going through with us all this. This has been such a fascinating conversation. And for today, this is Adam Woodhall thanking you and saying goodbye from Inspiring Steve.